Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I am a Cornish writer with a bit of an obsession with finding you the untold stories of Cornwall's past and today certainly is not an exception. In actual fact, I think it's fair to say that today's story is one of the strangest that I have ever come across in all my research and given some of the stories that I have covered on this podcast and on my blog that really is saying something. So I think right off the bat um, I'm going to give you a little quote from a newspaper article of the time of this incident and I'm hoping this will go some way to illustrate for you just how weird these circumstances were and it's going to add a little bit of intrigue as well um, just before I introduce you to the people that were involved and I set the scene a little bit as well. So the article comes from the St Austell Star. Now that's a newspaper that no longer exists. It ran from 1889 until 1915 and this particular article comes from September 1898. So under the heading Bugle Notes it reads, This usually peaceful little hamlet has been greatly disturbed of late. For three successive Fridays, scenes have been witnessed that culminated last Friday in a scene surely unparalleled in this or any other neighbourhood. Well, I hear you wonder, what on earth can we be talking about? Well, we're going to call this story A Very Strange Affair in Bugle. So these unparalleled events that the newspaper refers to, they took place in the small village of Bugle. And for those of you that don't know Bugle that well, we are up in the clay country. So we're in the region of St Austell, where you can still find working clay pits to this day. And Bugle, I have to admit, is not a place that I know particularly well. I have been there a few times, but mostly just to visit the disused pits that are behind the village. And they are these incredible kind of apocalyptic sort of landscapes because you've got the enormous disused pits that are now filled with water. And that water changes colour, um, is this sort of milky blue and turquoise, and it just makes incredible photography, really. But Bugle is where our story takes place in 1898. So just let's just talk a little bit about that village. So Bugle was not always called Bugle. It used to be known as Carnes Weary or Carnes Mary up until sort of the 19th century. And in fact, up until that point, it really wasn't a village at all. It was pretty much a hamlet, just a, a few houses. And it's thought that the name Bugle was adopted when the new Turnpike Road was built through, um, through the area and the village expanded. And a coaching inn was built there in about 1840. Now the story goes that that inn became known as the Bugle Inn because when the stagecoach arrived there, 
a man would stand outside and he would blow a bugle, you know, the brass instrument, to um, summon fresh horses from a nearby farm. So the inn became known as the Bugle Inn and then the village adopted the name as well. Now, Bugle was and still is a really sort of working class village. The vast majority of the people living there in the 19th century were involved in the China clay industry in some way. And I get the impression that it might have been a bit of a, let's say, rough and ready place. There is a quote from the Western Morning News that says, the inhabitants of Bugle bore so evil a reputation that it was necessary to have a county policeman resident in the village. Say no more. Anyway, so this is the place where our bizarre tale happens and let's introduce you to the people that were involved. So Lewis Hickman was a China clay labourer born in 1857 in Roach. And at the time of the event, he was 41 years old and he had been married to Mary, who was eight years younger than him, in October 1882. And the couple had two children, Ethel and John. Now, Mary had been born in uh, Belauda, which is a little village near Roach. Hopefully I said it right. And <laughs> at the time of our story, however, the whole of their little family are living in Bugle. Now, at some time in 1898, the Higmans took in a lodger called Fred Morecambe. And Fred was 23 years old. He was originally from St Stephen's, which is another China clay village just a few miles away. But unusually for the area, Fred was not a labourer. He was a jeweller. In fact, he came from a whole family of jewellers and watchmakers. And he had been an apprentice in the trade since he was 16 years old. So Fred moves in with the Higmans. Now, time went by and Lewis Higman, he became suspicious of the close relationship between his wife Mary and Fred the lodger. And on the 2nd of September 1898, Lewis returned home unexpectedly early and found that his wife was not in her room. In fact, Mary was in Fred's room. And yes, Lewis's wife was having an affair with their 23-year-old lodger. Now, Lewis couldn't afford to pay for a divorce. Um, the papers say that he was only earning about two shillings and ninepence a day in his job as a labourer. And obviously divorce in those days, it was really reserved for the wealthy because it, it was so expensive to end your marriage. But Lewis didn't want to understandably remain in the house with his wife and her lover. So he packed his things and he went to America to find work. But this is by no means the end of the story. There are two ways of looking at what happened next. Either the entire village turned on adulterous Mary and Fred, or the entire Nagog decided to take the mickey out of them because for the next three Fridays that September, that's the 9th, 
the 16th and the 23rd of September, there was a very strange kind of spectacle in the village of Bugle. It seems that the news of Fred and Mary's scandalous behaviour just happened to coincide with Bugle's annual riding. Now a riding is a kind of ancient festival and there's one still held in Bodmin. The one in Bodmin, I believe, involves um, the bones of St Petrock being taken through the streets. And I actually thought that the Bodmin riding was unique, but the newspapers definitely refer to a riding festival in Bugle at that time. And it sounds like it was some kind of horseback parade through the village. Now, the news that Mary Higman was having an affair with Fred Morecambe had caused quite a scandal, it seems, and perhaps to show their disapproval, the village made two effigies of the couple and they paraded those effigies through the streets of Bugle. And then, on the second Friday, that's the 16th of September, they took those effigies and they burnt them. The St Austell Star published a rather melodramatic article a few days later in which the journalist wrote, and I quote, As in so many cases, so in this, there is a woman at the bottom of it. And, as is usual, a man, or what passes for a man as well. Frailty thy name is woman has of late received painful local illustration and while woman has proved frail and faithless, man has been made a fool. The burning of the effigies of Mary and Fred was by no means the end of the story. Oh yes, it gets weirder. On the third Friday, that's the 23rd of September now, the ashes of those burnt figures, um, according to witnesses, these ashes were collected and then a funeral was held for them at a quarter to nine in the evening. This mock funeral included a whole cast of villagers. There was a mock clergyman in robes, there was a choir of 12, there were four bearers to carry the remains who wore white gloves and black box hats, there was a party of 12 mock mourners wailing, six men and six women all dressed in black hats with black veils, there was a mock undertaker to make sure that everything proceeded as it should. And the village also supplied 30 lamps to light the way, as well as a cross and a wreath of flowers for the departed. There were even black flags flying all around the village. Literally hundreds of people attended. One report said there were as many as 2,000 people present at the funeral. The police were there too, just in case there was any trouble, but the reports all say that everything was conducted with great decorum and the funeral was held in a field behind the house where the Higmans lived together and presumably where Fred was now living with Mary now that Lewis was gone. The newspapers stated that there was an enormous attendance but the ceremony passed off quietly 
there were no signs of revelry and the only sound was the copious mourning in the part of the mourners. So the whole thing can start to sound a little dark and threatening if you think about it too much. I mean, they're holding a funeral for these people behind their house. They've burnt them, presumably, on a bonfire. But then there's one further detail that just changes everything. Apparently, Fred Morecambe attended his own funeral. In fact, not only that, according to the Royal Cornwall Gazette, not only did he attend, but he also supplied the beer for the occasion. And just that one detail and everything just starts to look more and more comical, really. And in fact, when Lewis returned to England in 1905, he'd saved enough money for their divorce and he went to court in London. And the newspapers report basically that the whole courtroom was roaring with laughter when the witnesses began recounting to the judge what had actually happened seven years earlier. And the newspaper actually printed this sort of back and forth between the two witnesses and um, the judge. And after sort of every line, the newspaper has printed laughter in brackets as as they're recording what was actually said. So the judge asks um, the witness was a man called Jacob and the judge asks him, was there a clergyman present? And Jacob says there was a man who assumed that position, not a real clergyman, just says laughter. And then the judge asks and a choir. Yes, says Jacob. And a number of mourners. Yes, says Jacob. And an undertaker. Yes, says Jacob. And it just says laughter, laughter, laughter. And then the judge ends by saying, and this was in Cornwall, followed by laughter. So I suppose you'll be pleased to know that the judge did grant the divorce to Lewis. And as far as I can establish, he just returned to America. Now, how long Fred and Mary stayed together after all the scandals in 1898 just isn't clear. But by September 1908, Fred Morecambe has married a lady called Lottie Hobbs. As for Mary, well, you can probably imagine however light-heartedly the community felt about her relationship with Fred, it would have been much more difficult for Mary to move on from her indiscretions than it would have been for him. So we find that Mary has actually emigrated by 1915 and she is married to a man called Francis Joseph Esri in Vancouver. Now, Esri was a soldier, but he was actually from St Germans in Cornwall as well. And that's kind of the last that we hear of these people. That is the end of our very strange affair in Bugle. So I hope you've enjoyed this bonkers little story as much as I have enjoyed putting it together. And if you have enjoyed it, I would really, really appreciate it if you would like and share and maybe leave me a comment. I'd love to know your thoughts about this story because I just think it's fantastic. And I have never heard anything quite like it in my life. So if you have heard something like it, I would love to hear about it because at this moment in time, all that goes through my mind is, yeah, only in Cornwall. So that's it 
from me for now. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon. Bye.